0: The Coat Hanger on 2SER 107.3 FM. We'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners on the land in which we broadcast and record this show, the Gadigal of the Urination, and we pay our respects to Elders past and present. The Coat Hanger is a show and podcast where we tackle women's footy with a Sydney view. I'm your guest host, Peter Holden, filling in once again for the amazing Fee Lamb, and this week I'm joined by...
1: Emma Phillips here, joining you from Bidjigal land.
2: Coach Kiwi here, joining you from Wurundjeri country. Tracy Kick joining you from
3: Darrell Country.
0: In this week's show, our Round 10 show for AFLW Season 6, we have a look at how the season ended for some teams and will continue for others. We also discuss about when the next season will actually start. We take a look at the signings for Sydney and Essendon, and we try and discover a link between North Melbourne's Ash Riddell and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But first, let's talk about the season ending for some teams. And uh, Tracy Kick, I shall begin with you. We had Friday night football, Geelong and GWS. And can I say two sides with a disappointing end to the season, regardless of the results? Yes, the Giants won, but we hope for more out of the Giants. And how Geelong started, I think a lot of people hope for more out of the Cats.
3: You just took the words out of my mouth. I was just going to say Geelong came out of the blocks like a team possessed. I thought, look out. They're going to show the Giants up, but I think experience um, held off uh, overall, and uh, they just managed to get more control of the game. I think, despite I think Geelong winning quite a few of the stats, although um, I think hitouts—you um, know, incredible number of hitouts uh, for the Giants um, for Aaron McKinnon. Um, but yeah, look, disappointing. I think for both um, had their chances in various games. Um, so, yeah, the game was interesting, at least. Um, but uh, that's about where it ended for me.
1: It's interesting, isn't it, when we get to that point in the season where you're playing dead rubbers and ostensibly don't really want to watch those sorts of matches. But I wonder whether with the pressure released, both sides went, all right, let's play footy, you know, and it was actually a really entertaining game, wasn't it? And you've got to note too, I suppose, that you know, I think Giants had one of their best for the season, really, when they were without Beeson, Parker and Dalton. And they brought that sort of footy. And we have to mention Cora Staunton and her four goals. And really barracking for her at the end to try and clinch the uh, the goal kicker award for the season. I think she was equal with Taylor Harris on 18 in the end of the game. It's just been pipped by by Woodland, Ash Woodland. Um, but, yeah, look, she's been a, d- a delight to watch this year, I think, really develop her goal-kicking game. And it's completely unconventional, and that's the joy of it.
3: I think having a deep, deep in the forward line is the key, isn't it? Because she's so... Strong through the core and powerful, um, strong through the core. Um, anyway uh, so oh. the, I think the other thing that the Giants kicked their highest school for this season. am I correct in saying that? I do believe so hmm. yeah something something started working for them, but I mean they're playing one of the bottom teams as well. So you know it's pretty hard to measure from that game.
2: I think a lot of what we saw was um, they got they, they look like they're playing to the potential that we always thought they could you know, and then there's players that were coming into the team um, for their first season of AFRW that really stood up and looked like they're a bit more comfortable playing at this level as well. And, you know, certainly, you know, whether that reflects on it was their last game and they had a licence to thrill or they know there's exit interviews coming up, so they want to, um, you know, shine or, you know, have something positive to go into those uh season-ending interviews, but um, I think it was just pleasing for all the Giants fans who have suffered or sat through some tough results throughout the year, Um, but yeah, it was a good way for them to finish, and um, I think there's been many a time that we've said, share the ball around that forward line. But there was a point in the game, late in the game, we were just saying, kick it to Cora, just kick it to Cora. We just wanted her to break the record.
3: <laughs> I think they probably were trying to. Um, I just wanted to call out one interesting stat. So effective inside 50s, um, Geelong and Emma Phillips, she have been saying all year, uh, all season, Geelong need to kick goals if they want to get, get, win games. 11 shots from 29 inside 50s mm. and the Giants had 18 from 21 inside 50s and the cats won the contested possession so like you know had they been better at, at uh sort of penetrating their forward 50 and getting it a bit deeper in they may have had more success
0: but yeah too long what can we say? They are Geelong, not the greatest team of all. (laughs) We continue looking through what the Saturday games were. Uh, Lopsided, Collingwood beat Richmond, which means that shut the door on either the Bulldogs or Carlton sneaking into the top six. Uh, The Kangaroos took care of business against the West Coast Eagles. But I think one thing that would have caught everyone's eye was uh, Saturday night football where Carlton almost upset Melbourne. One point in the end, do you see it pleasing for Carlton or alarm bells for Melbourne?
2: You know, I think Carlton played the same way that the Giants played. Like, end of the season, nothing to lose, just go on out there, you know, license to thrill. And um, and they took it to Melbourne, and whether Melbourne were holding back a little bit, so, you know, thinking too far ahead rather than getting through that game. Because um, I don't think the conditions really would have uh, favoured one team more than the other. Um, but... Yeah, good on Carlton. What a way to finish. And, um, you know, a few of their players really stood up as well. And, um, you know, I guess maybe their contracts need renewing, maybe. I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a little question mark over Melbourne, and I said this a couple of weeks back, I think. But there's no question they're a stellar side. But I think they have had a few cards fall their way this season. And not really not to take anything away from them, I do mean they are a stellar side and they are a genuine premiership threat. But I think Adelaide and Brisbane, and possibly even Frio, are ahead of them. So it's not a great big surprise that that last game against Carlton was that close. You know, that's that's maybe not necessarily reflective of where both those sides are at. But um, yeah, I don't know. I've just got a question over Melbourne.
2: Is there a coincidence that they've played really good football this year when Taylor Harris has had a big influence in kicking goals?
3: Because
2: mm. she didn't really. She kind of looked a little quiet and a little off a game. On Saturday night, I'm trying to remember which night it was.
1: What are you? What are you saying here? We no Harris, no D's
2: Well, I don't know. It, 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 I mean, they've got so many players who'll win the game for them. But you know, can if you shut down Taylor, does that affect how they've built that forward line for the season? You know, is that where the shakiness? I don't know. Maybe not. Just putting it out there.
3: Yeah, I think she is hard to shut down when she gets going and gets a bit of confidence up. So it would be interesting to see, you know, if she's the sort of player. Some players just go electric in final series, you know. So, you know, is she a player that will do that? I mean, I don't know that we've seen that necessarily in the last couple of years. But um, I think that their success well, won't be hanging on Taylor Harris, but she'll be instrumental, I think, in any success that they have. <laughs>
0: Um, looking to Sunday football, uh, the Western Bulldogs pushed the Brisbane Lions before the Lions ran away with it by 32 points in the uh, second half of that game. Uh, from Mantle, easily accounted for the Gold Coast Suns. A disappointing finish for the Gold Coast Suns, considering um, that they'd actually been putting in and an impressed a lot of people considering their wooden spoon finish uh, last year. Uh, and also St Kilda going down to uh, the Adelaide Crows. The Adelaide could almost finish the season win- uh without a loss, but, of course, uh, they went down to the Bulldogs a few weeks ago in that uh, upset loss at Norwood Oval. Um, so that that's how it, it all finished out for the season. Um, any side you were disappointed by yeah, when you have a look at the scheme of things that missed out in the finals that you thought should have been in the finals?
3: The Bulldogs is a bit of an outside chance. I know I couldn't make the pod when we did the pre-season prediction, but I went back to my notes and had the Bulldogs as an outside chance of making the six. Um, and I, I think they, you know, I mean, look, everybody had to deal with COVID and had various issues to deal with, but they had a rough start. I reckon they've come home really well. Um, you know, started to show some of, of, you know, I mean, obviously with Blackburn and Lamb and Tugger and, you know, I mean, I just think they, they, when they get going, even though the rest of the side's quite young, um, so not disappointing, but um, they finished probably where close to where I. Could, you know, kind of a coulda, shoulda, woulda. Um, disappointing. I mean, the Gold Coast did show so much, Peter. I think that's that's true. You know, we had glimpses of what they might be uh, able to do. Um, so I guess they were disappointing in the end for me. But they're they're, they're my couple of picks.
2: I think the the top six being the same top six as last year sort of is a bit of a telling tale around about the stability of the players and the coaches and, and the experience of the coaching panels of those teams as well and the style of football that they're playing. Um, and then, you know, the, the sort of the middle group there that's sort of sitting roundabouts. And like you said, Trace, Bulldogs came home strong in the end. They just had a real rough start. And then um, Giants and Carlton, just sort of that inconsistency just you know they're not really looking like they're going to push into that top six against those six teams is probably the biggest challenge. Um, but early on, I think you know at the beginning of the year I said that I thought Richmond were going to fly this year and I thought they built a really solid list and you know they had a couple of injuries early on that really affected that as well. But I think um, I think they're really playing good football and they've got a couple of really good results early in the season that they didn't get carried later in the season um, and you know you know but they they finished higher than they did last year and same with gold coast i guess similar um but you know i think the teams down the bottom those three um Geelong West Coast and St Kilda they've really really got to go back and have a look at you know everything around their programs i think just you know not just the coaching but you know maybe the style of football they're playing the players on their list do the two meet, you know, or is there something not not matching between that? Um, just so many, just so many factors, because um, now they sort of start to be consistently at the bottom and the new teams coming in, you know, could be building stronger lists that um, you know, force them down.
0: Out of this um, uh, ladder finish, we see Melbourne and Adelaide uh, at the top of the table. Melbourne second, Adelaide first. That means the grand final again will go through Adelaide should Adelaide uh, win through. Uh, The remaining teams in the final, let's begin first of all at Arden Street Oval, 2.10pm on Saturday, a qualifying final between the Kangaroos and Fremantle. And may I say, Emma Phillips... Ash Riddell has a link to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because the answer to the ultimate question about life and everything in the universe is 42. <laughs> and that is the number of disposals had by Ash Riddell on the weekend. <laughs> She's coming into the final in red hot form. <laughs> It's the answer to
1: life and everything is 42 and North Melbourne success, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a nice synergy. 42 disposals. That is just madness, isn't it? For the amount of game time, the amount of minutes that are available to a play an AFLW player, the record before that was 35 that she jointly held with. Is it? Yeah, it's an Adelaide player. I'm sorry that I've Marinoff, forgotten her name. Probably. Mar- I think the Marinoff, Marinoff. yes, sorry, there's Marinoff, yeah. 35 disposal. So that's, you know, they haven't, she hasn't pipped it by just one or two. It's at 42, which I think is just extraordinary. Cool. And yeah, and she's finished the season obviously on top of. The disposals ladder, so she's the player with the most amount of disposals for the season. Her average is 29.9 with a total of 299 disposals, just missing that lovely 30 mark. Um, but that's, you know, that's five, over five disposals more than the next in line, which is, in fact, Marinoff. So it really has been an extraordinary year for Riddell. I don't know how she's going to go in the best and fairest. Um, But what a remarkable rise and what a rapid rise too to get to sort of the top of the tree that quickly. All power to her.
2: Uh, Those um, 42 disposals, 21 kicks, 21 handballs. She's very balanced um, in that. Um, And she only wasted her energy on two tackles. So, you know, does that mean, you know, she's just always first in? Because often we talk about the high tackles in a game and does that always mean a player's second to the contest? Because, you know, getting a lot of tackles. Well, she's only getting two tackles, 42 disposals. So is she getting in there first? You know, perhaps perhaps there's something um, in the way that you coach against Ash Riddell as well.
1: Mm. And I does, think she, her, does she need
2: a tag, do you think, this this round? Okay, would you run a tag against Riddell? Um, if she's having that much influence, um, her efficiency is sitting around about 65%. So yep. then you start to look at that and you go, you know, that's pretty high, um, you know, Accuracy rate that you know she's keeping possession because you can talk about and I've seen players who've had thirty disposals and not doing anything, anything with them and only two stay with their team and you know mm. there's twenty eight turnovers and 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 we we forget what the impact is and and with her forty two she's obviously sixty five percent she's you know keeping. Um, for her team so she's actually doing something really good value out of it so so that's when you say you know, there's a high quality there it's not just a number it's not just a stat it's actually she's having an impact on the game and um, and North are playing really well when when they're using her as well and I think uh, Jazz Garner was not far off her mm. um, and she's been attacking for her so you know it's uh, it's a good balance in there
3: I think the tag is a good question because um, I don't. I'm trying to think of in the Dockers if there's someone there renowned for tagging because there aren't many players across the across the AFLW who are renowned ta- taggers. Obviously, Cathy Sfart um, is for the Lions. Um, I know when I was at the Giants, they would never contemplate a tag, not even a soft tag. Mm-hmm. Um, so it be. It's interesting to see how different coaches tackle that and whether or not um, Frio will come out with someone to mind her um, in some way or another or whether just, you know, they just go Kiara Bowers head-to-head or, you know.
1: Mm. I mean, the last time a a tag was employed against North was only a couple of weeks back by your mob, Trace, the Lions. It took out uh, Carney, in fact, Emma Carney's influence off the half-back line. So it might be a decision for them to make as to which way they go if if they do run a tag, whether it's Riddell to, to go to or... Or Carney. Mm.
3: Well, Carney and and, um, Garner and Riddell, you know, really reap a bit of havoc, don't they, Mm, between mm. them? But, um, I mean, you've got a bit of havoc with the Dockers. I mean, I just think their form hasn't been so great, you know, as we've discussed over the last few weeks. So, you know, will they they be back to form, I guess?
0: Let's have a look at the other final. That's the Brisbane Lions versus Collingwood. Uh, That's being played at the Gabba. 3.10pm local times, that's 4.10pm Eastern. Regretfully, it's already being billed as a doubleheader because the uh, men's is afterwards. And uh, we should say, coming into this, uh, congratulations to Craig Starcevic, 50 AFLW games coached. And in one way, it's surprising, isn't it, that it's taken to six seasons to someone to reach the 50 games mark as a coach. But maybe it says about the longevity of the coaches at the moment in the AFLW.
3: Well, the players beat him to it because Stasa was sick at some point for a couple of weeks, I remember, yeah. um, back in, the, I can't remember which season, 218 or 219, I think. So um, some of the players jumped the gun by a week um, to get to 50. But, yeah, look, there's no other coach. I mean, other than I think the only other long-standing coach um, would be Ellen McConnell, I think. Uh, um, Next to me he- for Melbourne. Oh, mixed in here, yeah. Um, and, you know, they came in in 2018. So, yeah, um, I don't mind the, the double header at the Gabba, I've got to say, because the op- the, op- the other opportunity would have been to play at Ritchie Sports Complex. And I've got to say after it was, A, flooded and, B, it's, you know, it's a good hour and a half drive from Brisbane. The crowds have been quite small. It's a final I, I like the Gabba choice. I don't mind that it's a double-header. In fact, if I didn't have friends coming, I'd
2: go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I see where the loyalties lie, huh?
2: <laughs> like a true fan. Um, Collingwood are the only other team really with a renowned um, tagger as well. Uh, and Ebony O'Day is probably um, sort of floats in and out of the team, usually for that reason, whereas Cassie Spark sort of keeps the position. She either plays as a tag or not as a tag. So it's a little interesting the differences between the two. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think um I think pies are just looking a little sketchy with you know without their couple of key midfielders. Um, I think they're missing uh Sophie Casey, is it?
1: Mm, yeah, She's one week
2: suspension. Man. And then Jordan Allen got a fine. So um, which hers was intentional and the other one was accidental, but the accidental gets a week off and the intentional punch gets just a fine. Just that's interesting me. but um yeah I, I just think you know that's so if casey you know as a small defender she does a really solid job there and i think they might miss the impact she has um you know across that halfback line but um yeah you know, i just think the way that brisbane are playing they're going to be very hard to, to stop and you know they just get their ball they get it out wide or they take it up the guts. It doesn't really matter how they move it, but they move it very fast. They just move it
3: very fast. They they do. It's so good to watch.
2: And And there's a lot of
3: speedsters on the team, Kiwi, too. So, you know, like the likes of Stacey Livingston, as fantastic a defender as she is, like, you know, where's someone – Whereas, you know, Dakota's probably the, the slower, taller player that maybe that's the match-up. But then, you know, then you've got Hoda Farquharson, uh, Wardlaw, Sophie mm. Conway kicking it up from the wing. Yep. Like, Paula O'Dwyer, unbelievable. Like, I just think, you know, I I think they're going to be very hard to stop Well, week. exactly.
2: You know, I mean, Collingwood will have the likes of Alana Porter who's got, she's built for speed. But that's one, and then I don't know that that Ruby Schleicher or um, Erica Fowler, I don't know that they'll have the speed to keep up with the likes of O'Dwyer and Farquharson. So, um, so yeah, and then, you know, throw Ruby, Ruby Spark. Ruby, Ruby and Cathy Spark. Yeah. Um, Ruby, won the hundred, won, Ruby won the Grand Final Sprint
3: last year because she didn't actually, uh, I don't, she only played a handful of games. And this year she's almost featured every week.
1: And let's yeah, not forget well, Bates too who's just
3: hit absolutely unbelievably peak form.
2: consistent. Yeah, yeah it's just
3: unbelievably good.
2: Um, yeah but yeah if they put Ruby Spark on the wing then they can't – Collingwood can't then take their speed winger and throw her in the back line to cover for B that way there to keep them up the field. So um, some real um, big decisions to make on that. coaching games. bit of a coaching nightmare. bit of a conundrum. <laughs> it, it is. It? <laughs> it's a conundrum. I, I enjoy putting my feet up and watching this game. But, um, yeah, I, I just think wait. Lions are going to be very, hard to, very hard to beat. to beat.
0: Talking about decisions made, uh, Essendon and Sydney have made their decision on who they'll sign to their first AFLW contract. A few weeks ago, the news was broken about Bridget Deed, a youngster out of the Eastern Rangers being signed to Hawthorne. Essendon going a different path to Hawthorne, Sydney almost copying Hawthorne's path. Sydney on Monday announced that Ruby Sergeant Wilson will be their inaugural AFLW signing, a young 18-year-old. On the other hand, Essendon went the opposite way and went with 29-year-old Georgia Nanscombe, former. No- Melbourne AFLW footballer, former hockey roo, current co-captain of the bombers, and reigning Lambert Pierce medalist. What do you prefer around the panel? Do you prefer the signing being the youngster and talking about the future? Or do you prefer about the signing with the this is the standard that we're aiming for?
1: Uh, look, I think uh, I would I would err on the side of an older player, funnily enough, perhaps not a twenty-nine-year-old. Reject from another club. I think that's probably oh, pushing it. With all respect.
0: Oh, shots fired from the North Melbourne supporter.
1: <laughs> the marshmallow war is afoot again, Peter. <laughs> um look, I think when the when, when the AFLW began with that with the inaugural season, there was such a focus on youth. In fact, most of the time there has been a focus on youth, and it came under a lot of fire. And I think that they missed out on a huge amount of talent that was around that was a bit older and that also could have guided those those younger players through those first few seasons. I think it would have been a nice, much more balanced affair in those first few seasons. So I am inclined towards selecting those older players for those roles. Um, They really offer a lot, I reckon, over an 18-year-old as a general rule. Um, But 29 having been delisted from North Melbourne, I don't know. Is she going to cut it?
2: I tend to um, agree with what you're saying. The M. and I think these four new teams when they come in they want to come in and hit the ground running they want to be competitive so you do want to get some experience in your team and you know if you're going to sign an 18 year old you're going to be looking at someone like the Prosparkus kind of player or you know Nina Morrison some out and out match winning type players that you know that you can build your team around but um, you know certainly having some experience and she's a inside midfielder so you know key player and um, key possession getter um, when, she, when she does play for the VFRW team at the Bombers. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it, it's good for uh, Swans that they've been able to take someone out of their academy and, um, and she, she was a South Coast uh, junior and played for Southern Power in the, in the comp. So um, shout out to Huggy and her favorites is what they're called over there. Um, but you know, exciting I think for the Swans that they've got, got a local product that's come through the academy system. It's just a matter of, um, you know, we've only seen little patches of her, I guess. Um, is is this going to be the one who's going to win? And is, is she going to be New South Wales' version of Prasparkas?
3: And I think it's a lot of pressure. So back to the point that you both made, I'd like to see a mature age, experienced player as the first signing. The problem is that the Swans probably want to, sign a Swans Academy product as mm. in in the media um, for the media story. Um, and good on her. Fantastic. Congratulations. Um, my, my thing is that, again, building your list, you know, what, what do you want to go out and say, you know, this is what we're about? And I think absolutely the Swans are going to have, you know, a raft of players coming up through the Academy that they're going to want to draw upon but interestingly like you know if if Tasmania joins AFL m men's you know will their first signing be a 17 year old draftee, mm. you know someone from the academy um, or will it be some big paid you know high paid superstar that they've lured across so anyway that's my that's my reflection but um, i'm i'm all, i think i've made it very clear i'm all for the mature Players the ones with experience, the ones... But the, there are some sensational, as we know, we've only got to look at this season, sensational young players in the comp. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's about balance, isn't it, at the end of the day?
0: And that game experience could come a lot sooner than anybody expected, <laughs> including the players, because during the week the AFL where long-term planning is not in their vocabulary, decided to come out and say, oh, hey, by the way, we're thinking about moving the season to start from August to December. And by the way, when we say August, we mean this August, which would mean pre-season would start sometime May, June. How does everyone feel about this bombshell that's just being dropped on everyone when players are saying they're almost having a breakdown going through these last COVID-affected seasons to say, oh, hey, we need you to get back up again in a couple of months' time and, and go again?
2: Well, the big challenge is right now, people obviously they are coming off the AFLW season. There's six, six teams for the month of football left. So then what do they do? Hang out their boots for a month and then they're back at pre-season is the reality of that. In, in, in Melbourne, um, I think Perth, and I, I think Queensland and South Australia, they've all got their current state competitions running. So they'll go through till about June. So those girls w- would have started January to June. If they drafted, they're straight into pre-season right through until the end of the year. So, you know, potential burnout for those ones. Um, and then obviously, you know, the girls are part-timers. So they've got jobs and a lot of them take time off to get through this AFLW season. How much more leave can they get in, in the same 12 months? So um, a lot of pressures will happen around there and we may, we may lose some because you know they can't get that time to play football then is it six acls this year we've we've had those girls more, won't I get think. back in time is it more yeah so yeah. they they won't get back this season um and i think there's been a couple of other serious injuries so they're not going to make it back and and then obviously the um irish contingent i think that's 16 players at the moment do they barring cora because we know she's retired from uh, the gaelic football com but do the rest go home or do they stay here? So, you know, it's um, so many factors. And we're starting to now see, which we haven't seen in other seasons, please speak up um, through the social channels. And, and even, you know, there's a big tweet. Chloe Malloy said, can we please, please make it August 2023? So um, players are feeling the strain. And, you know, as you said, they're, just, they're not being consulted. And there's just so many other factors to come into it.
1: What difference would August twenty twenty three make, though? Isn't the same set of conditions this time next year? Yeah,
2: you get you get a bit of a break. The new CBA will be in by then, so potentially higher paid, longer longer um, season for the games, Um, a chance to to get some more accrue more leave. (laughs) Yeah, I think I think it's really difficult. Um, I think the
3: impacts for example on the sydney competition you know so that you know you'll have players probably won't play in the local competition um aflw players i so probably want to have a rest they might have a bit you of know, a run around here or there but then they won't be there for finals because they're in <laughs> august and september so you know teams are stacked with aflw players would be interesting so that's an interesting sydney conundrum i think the is my word of the day. Um, I think the Irish players, um, if they play Camogie or, um, or Gaelic, they'll have to choose. And I don't know how many of the Irish players actually live, you know, don't return to Ireland to play their chosen sport in Ireland, so I don't know what the impact will be there. Um, obviously getting lists ready and going. There are some advantages, I think. I mean, if I had to wait... Till August 2023 for the next AFRW season, I'd be like <laughs> twiddling my thumbs, going, "What the hell?" As a, a as a consumer, <laughs> as a consumer of the product, um, and a, you know, and a and a fan of the product, I suppose, um, and a critic of the product. But you know, I think it's um, I, I think that it's between a rock and a hard place. I think August 2023 would be too far away. I think August 2022 is is difficult. And um but it, the positive thing is getting into the winter, you know, well, out of the summer. So I don't know if it's into winter, but it's into spring.
1: Peter, you have some strong views on this. You you, you wrote a great piece today on this very topic. I feel like swapping roles with you momentarily to say, Peter, tell us what you think about this one. <laughs>
0: Um, I wrote a piece for Medium.com called AFLW August Start is Fool's Gold. Um, There's two reasons to look at it. One, first of all, for the clear air argument, and that's when everyone's saying, oh, there'll be clear air, it'll be away from cricket, it'll be fantastic. Um, If we start in the bye weekend of uh, the AFL men's, uh, the problem that I see what the media will cover is that week leading up to it, they're all going to be about the sides that missed the finals, right? Who's getting delisted? Which coach may have just got sacked? Uh, we're doing all the awards for the tipping competitions, the super coaches. It's a reflection on the season. That's where all the articles are about and focusing on the finals. By round two that the AFLW comes around, it's the first week of the men's finals. Wipe out the next three to four weeks. Mainstream media is covering in-depth the finals teams, plus... All Australian awards, players' MVP awards, coaches' MVP awards, all of that that goes with it. And to be honest, when it's grand final day, when it rolls around by round five AFLW, everyone's talking about the AFL grand final. They're not talking about anything else that's going on. Does anyone remember when the TAC Cup used to be beforehand? Anyone remember who won in the TAC (laughs) Cup? Nobody. Nobody talked about it. It was all about the AFL men's uh, grand final. Plus Plus, at the same time, local finals are on. You've got junior finals, which be, which end on the first round of what would be the AFLW, plus women's senior grand finals, plus men's senior finals start. And particularly in country areas, they're all big about um, when they, their town gets to host the country finals. So there's a lot of distraction going around in September. Then by the time the grand final in the men's is played trade radio starts, either the hardcore fans are into trade radio, even though it's all just speculation and BS for two weeks straight, while the casual footy fan is like, I I can't stand it. I need a break from footy. So they switch off. Mm. So we're going round six, round seven of AFLW. Round eight, people might come round. But by that stage, you're already halfway through the season. And let's say, for example, you follow St Kilda and you look at the ladder and you go, oh. We've only won one game. We're no chance of making it. <laughs> Are you going to stick around and follow the rest of the season? Nope. Mm. Then we get to the business end. November, when the finals start, you got the AFL men's draft, which happens. There's going to be a lot of talking articles around that. Men's preseason comes back, and we've known in the past Channel 7 News has elected to show more about men's training sessions than AFLW games played for premiership points. Plus, do you want to play a grand final where you could beat the record crowd of uh, 86,000 at the MCG? Not going to happen because an early December grand final, you can't play on the MCG, you can't play on the SCG, you can't play on the Adelaide Oval, you can't play on the Gabba, you can't mm. play at Optus Stadium. And very doubtful for Marvel Stadium, uh, Metricon and Giant Stadium because of BBL contracts with the AFL. Um, so when you break it down, you go, well, where are you going to play your grand final? The biggest stadium was possibly GMHBA Stadium, thirty to 40,000. So I can't see the advantage of moving it to that window where you don't have the clear air and you can't have a big venue for your grand final. And I keep looking at the date going, why do you want to start particularly in that bye weekend? Why? August 2023, the AFL season we kick off on August, uh, AFLW season that is, August 26th. What's the weekend before it? The FIFA Women's World Cup final. Why do the AFL want to play immediately the week after? it's to blunt any momentum out of that because unlike the men's in in, in, in soccer where, you know, okay, it's hooray if we get past the group stage, the Matildas are actually very good and the Matildas, when they get their act together, are actually a side that has a genuine shot at running very deep into the tournament. If they do great on home soil and everyone's excited about Matildas, everyone's excited about women's soccer, do you think the AFL are going to be particularly happy about that? That's, oh, why they, that's why they want to start there. They want to blunt momentum coming out of the FIFA Women's World Cup. And another advantage and another advantage also by starting this August is, if you want to really put on the, the, the cynical frame of mind, is that all of a sudden the players are now arguing about not wanting to start early and more focused on conditions for the CBA rather than full-time pay, the art of distraction.
1: Mm. So, is the CBA going to be moved forward this year ahead of this August start? It would the have, CBA negotiations. It,
0: it would have to be because if I'm correct, the CBA expires in October. Yeah. So now that to be that, in the
3: middle so, of the season, so they're so, going to have to bring it forward,
0: so, isn't that? So, so it puts pressure on the CBA to be done quickly. And as uh, spoken by Ali Blackburn on the W Show on the women's.afl website. She mentions, she goes, the last CBA took quite a while to get through. And as we remember, there was a successful no vote at one stage and they had to go to a re-vote. So all of a sudden, this throws pressure back on the players of, you've got to get this CBA done quickly.
1: Isn't it also true that the AFL hasn't yet consulted the players on their thoughts about an August start? And in fact, it looks like if, if you weren't sort of properly attuned to what was going on, it looks like the, it's a done deal. Looks like it's a done deal. And yes, they haven't actually consulted the players. So I'm also curious about why the AFL has gone full throttle in the media before consulting its players. What are we missing there?
2: That's
3: it about applying pressure? Like is that a a, a, you know, a media pressure and an It it does look
1: that way. I mean, if I was a player and I woke up one morning and saw that the season was moving to August and none of us had been consulted, I'd be pretty miffed. Doesn't make for good negotiations, does it, when it comes around to that CBA?
3: Well, I think you'd feel like you you you're cornered because, um, you know, the, the momentum, the clubs, the clubs are going according to the media. You know, according to the AFL, the clubs are going yes, we're ready, we're ready. You know, so they, so the clubs, it's it's a perceived pressure. It's like a game of footy. It's it's like scoreboard pressure. Mm. The media are hyping it up and. People are going, oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, good idea. Oh, out of summer, less ACLs, yeah, beauty, um, mm-hmm. you know. And so, and then, you know, I don't think the players' association have actually had any conversation about it with the AFL, according to what I've read. I don't know what the facts are. Just,
1: just to continue this role reversal, Peter, I'm going to throw it back to you. <laughs> Is there anything good about it?
0: The only the, the only arguments being put forward by some and I think the players at the moment is they're saying oh, because it will be mainly in spring and before the early summer that that, that the grounds will be softer and they're hoping that might see a reduction in the ACLs and not playing uh, footy when it's hot. Now, of course, uh, those that I know that play football in the NTFL and up in AFL Queensland will be saying, come on, you're not playing in hot weather, we're playing in hot weather. But um, but yeah, that, that is the argument of some, and they're thinking it would be a smarter move. Um, but it, it, it brings up the problem, which you've all alluded to, which is how do the state leagues line up? How does grassroots footy line up? On the men's side of the game, everything lines up perfectly. Men's footy from AFL right down to the most bottom grade of amateur footballers all in the same window, while at the moment um, the women's football is all over the place. But it's, it seems to be the players are warm to the idea of playing August to December, just not for this year. Mm.
2: Can I just throw a spanner in the works about the hard ground mm. argument? If, if you go on to Wittenoval, Casey Field's, Oh, whereas any of these good quality grounds, it's actually not that hard. Mm. They're RSEA is another – they're well-drained, they're very uh, highly manicured pieces of grass – it's only if they then would throw it out to maybe I don't know what Maroochydore is like, haven't been out onto their grass. But if they go to the suburban fields, but that doesn't um, have
3: any grass anymore. When under <laughs> two meters of walking
0: now. It's now concrete. And just on and that, kid, you, <laughs> just on that kid where they won't be going to Maroochydore anyway because by that stage, Springfield will be ready.
2: Correct. <laughs> it's true. Um, but if you look at how they're doing the ACL, it's usually nothing to do with the actual field. So throw that argument out anyway. Um, I had another good point, but I forgot. Come back to you.
1: Look, a a friend of mine, I was discussing this earlier tonight and and knowing that we were going to have a yarn about it on the pod, and uh, my friend said, why don't they just reduce the AFL M season? And this is something that has been mooted before, even before AFLW began, because there has been a long-time discussion about whether, in fact, the men are playing too long, the the games are too long, the season is too long. In fact, it's very hard on their bodies. Now, wouldn't it seem like a somewhat equitable move to actually reduce their season and create some space for the AFL Women's, instead of us trying to scrimp and figure out where it's going to go around them?
2: Good call Just a know. thought. And they're talking about extending it. Um, the other point I was going to make, I do remember now, is um, the state leagues. So all the states that have shifted their state competition into summer to run under the AFLW so that the non pick players had a uh, regular matches each week, where does that throw them? Do they now have to move that competition into, you know, the end of a season, you know, end of a calendar year kind of thing? So how does that all work? So that's a whole lot of other stuff. And then most of the fans that come to the game are probably involved in community clubs. So when, you know, the is played at one o'clock, three o'clock, five o'clock, they're probably at their local club You know either playing football or doing the barbecue or you know cheering on the juniors or whatever so um, how are they going to you know continue that fan engagement if they're all busy doing what they generally do as part of graphics football so what's the answer does
0: complain a lot. I, 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 Does anyone agree? It's it's a choice between two poison pills, essentially. Mm. Do mm-hmm. you take the do you take the, the do you take the red pill, which is a case of play during summer, perhaps late October through to early March. You clear a couple of weeks of the men's season. Everyone gets a breather. Then you come back to it. You probably might have to play on night football and uh, therefore you have your own season, your own space. Yes, you're competing against cricket and other sports. You'll be always competing against something, but at least it's clear of the men's. Or do you go traditional and swallow the blue pill and say we want to line up perfectly with the men's season? Perhaps if everyone plays once, you'll finish by August, uh, late August, just before the men's finals. Um, But in that aspect... Media attention-wise, you will fall down to the level of, let's say, the VFL and the sa You'll be at that level of coverage compared to the AFL men's. Do you take pill red or pill blue?
1: Yeah.
2: Can I give you a pill green? Pill <laughs> <Feel> green. <laughs> Go for I it, just, I don't know that you can put them in the same season anyway, but what if you ran AFLW from January till May and then ran AFL from – June to November, and then everyone gets December off to go to their Christmas parties. So then they just run the whole year. We've got a whole year what about of the Christmas we've got, party. We've got a party. whole <laughs> <laughs> we've got a whole month to party.
1: Are you proposing that they would and they start the no, AFLM like, in June, Kiwi? Yes. Is that we just that? And, yeah, I can you know, see like that. Melbourne would they would burn Melbourne down.
2: <laughs> but they finish dreaming. in November, so you know they just change the words of the song to that that day in November. <laughs>
1: Same number of syllables it's november rain i think november rain
2: rain.
0: (laughs) i guess all we're going to be left with if we start with the afl want is what neil diamond would say is a hot august night Uh, uh, on that note we should wrap things up once again this has been the code hanger on 2ser we should say thank you again to lisa coach kiwi roper tracy kick and emma phillips this has been round 10 of The Coat Hanger for AFLW Season 6. We'll be coming to you every week on 2SER 107.3 FM. Be sure to catch us on the socials. We're at Coat Hanger Footy on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Don't forget to catch the full version of this show in the podcast with extra content wherever you get your podcast. And as always, for the best Harper of views in women's footy, tune into The Coat Hanger.